of a two-parter in the Meltzer five-star project. Not because we're talking about one match twice, but we're talking about one event twice. An event that, boy oh boy, was Dave Meltzer giving out the stars with more showers than the average rainfall in Manchester. It was star spectacular. And with me, your co-host Lorcan Mullen is your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross. And Simon, what's the event and what's the match that we're covering for this one? Well, to paraphrase the Jaffa Cake advert, we're not at no gear. We're not at half gear. We are, in fact, at full gear. And we are talking about a six-man tag, fulls count anywhere, between Jurassic Express and Christian versus the Super Click, which obviously consists of one Adam Cole, and the Young Bucks. Now, it's curious that you include only Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy as Jurassic Express. Do you not consider Marco Stunt a part of this anymore? Marco Stunt is part of the faction Jurassic Express, but the tag team Jurassic Express is exclusively Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, as they are the ranked team when it comes to AEW. It's an interesting point, actually, that Marco Stunt isn't involved in this at all. They don't even have him take out... Brandon Cutler and or Michael Nakazawa at any point in this match. Or wave his arm as like with the energy of Mandrews. Both of them big fans of massive arm waving. But no, it's it's a more serious tone from Jurassic Express. They don't do Jungle Boy popping up off of Luchasaurus's back during the entrance. Jungle Boy is wearing jeans, as is Christian. Jungle Boy in jeans, I think, is doing a lot of things for a lot of people <laughs> in, the, in the crowd and at home. Well, of course. Although I have to say, one of my bisexual friends has found the more dormant side of his sexuality post a long-term relationship with a lovely woman reawakened by Darby Allen. So it's different horses for courses. Well, he, he loves a pillar. Te- make of that one. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> but it turns out T-Rexes can't get hold of Levi's as... Uh, Luchasaurus is not in jeans. Yes, I guess it's meant to be the old bunkhouse stampede, street fight sort of thing. The old Dusty Rhodes days of wearing kneecaps over jeans. But, well, it seemed like Luchasaurus was wearing some sort of denim under his uh, accoutrements. I wasn't quite sure what. Maybe. I don't know. My favourite ever getting dressed up for a street fight was when Matt Seidel got involved in one for Ring of Honor, and he wore an ascot, and <laughs> right <laughs> khaki trousers or something like that. Okay, I don't really know how to process that information. Christian and Jurassic Express came out and there were ready for a fight, and Jungle Boy is ready for a Tiger Beat centerfold from nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, but. The Young Bucks and Adam Cole are in matching... Now, I think it was magenta that they were wearing, not pink. 
Mm. I don't think it was a Bret Hart homage so much as it was. Well, it seemed like a Bret Hart homage in Adam Cole's jacket. Yeah. But the color scheme looked more to me as magenta than than pink full uh, on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think the uh, JR line of it looks like a Bret Hart convention was, was pretty on the money. Mm. I don't recall Bret Hart ever growing facial hair and then dyeing it pink at all. <laughs> no. But that's what made me think it was magenta, because the dye colour was more towards purple than mm. pink. And I do like how offended Tony Schiavone was at that. <laughs> I loved the offset, though, because it's like, oh, we're confident, we're here, we, we know what we're about, versus the, I'm going to kick your face off of your skull, like, vibes. Yes, but... The the key story I suppose of this match is uh is Jungle Boy throwing off these shackles of youth and becoming a man. <laughs> There's a line again from JR, like about in the first third of this match. It's like Jungle Boy is growing right before our very eyes. <laughs> hey. Which... I'm sure he's made other people grow in front of his very eyes as well. <laughs> I was wondering why why it was. I mean, he wears trunks, so he shows more skin. But I did think when I saw him in jeans, I was like, there's... I don't know why, but that's going to do it for a lot of people. I think it's because it shows off... Even though he's on the smallish side, although he's taller than most small wrestlers. Yeah. Like, you know, he's the thinnest kid in fat camp as far as short wrestlers go. He's got a very long torso, I think, is what it is, that allows him to have... Like, good abs on mm. display. Space for the abs to show themselves. Whereas more people with more lower, like, smaller body frames, midsections, like Chris Jericho's, it was always a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Or, you know, Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah. Well, he's got the classic, he's got the weightlift, he's got the boxer's belt right up to his nipples. <laughs> going on. I'll just hide it. <laughs> I will say, when I rewatched this for this recording... This match improved in my eyes from first viewing. I liked it more the second time I watched it. I could go along with that, mainly because the first time I watched this, I watched this live, which for for a man who resides in the United Kingdom meant I was rather tired uh, already at at this point. And to watch it with a um, fresher mind, you, you notice things you didn't initially notice. Such as? It's just the work of the Stooges. I don't particularly remember that from the first time I watched it, but both Brandon Cutler messing up with a cold spray again or Michael Nakazawa passing a bin to, I think it was Nick, or might have been Matt, but I think it was Nick. I've talked about like their, their Stooge work before, but what I like in this is you've got your silly Stooge and in Brandon Cutler, and you've also got, Nakazawa's just like a he'll, he he's also silly but in a different way. It's like there's tearing. Yeah, yeah. It's like how Stevie Richards is the most competent of all of Raven's lackeys. It's like Stevie Richards is the most competent, then it's Nova, then it's Blue Meaning. Yeah. For example. <laughs> it's, it's like Nakazawa's more competent, uh, less comical. Than Brandon is. He's less... Yeah, yeah. He's took on the uh, sort of the straight man. Not that they really like do much double act stuff together, but he's more of a straight man than uh, Cutler is. Although I don't know if Nakazawa can make the throw that Cutler made for the uh, cage match. One thing that I noticed you didn't use was one of your favourite words when we talk about the five-star matches. There are 
debutantes in this match as far as five-star ratings go. Both Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. But also Christian Cage. Yeah, baby. Now, here's where we start to get into the contentious issues that Dave Meltzer's ratings for just this whole card have caused. There's been a lot of uproar on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, of course, that's, you know, bear shits in woods levels of news now. But it should be noted that this is, like, maybe his highest rated show ever. I don't know, maybe he gave an All Japan Women show that was, like, eight hours more four-star matches back in the 90s. Yeah. But the lowest rated match on the main card was the Britt Baker-Ty Conti match, which got three and a half stars. Mm-hmm. Every other match on the nine-match card got four stars and a minimum. Now, when I heard that, when he said that in his uh, radio show, like, several days before he released The Observer, yeah, I said, for a start, I failed to see how you can find four stars in any of the two of the Rip Baker, Ty Conti, Minneapolis Street Fights, and the... Cody tag team match. Yeah. Any of those three matches could be considered four stars, but he did. Actually, he did give four stars to the Minnesota Street Fight, so that was him being harsh. (laughs) And he gave the Cody tag match four and a quarter. And he gave this match five stars, and he gave another match later on in the card, which will be next week's episode, five and a half stars. Yeah. And that means that you've just got to think about some of the wrestling matches in history that means he's saying are better than this. And the key one for me, when you consider that Christian Cage is in this match, is that he's saying this is better than all of the TLC matches, all of the the WrestleMania 16 tables and ladders match, the No Mercy 1999 ladder match between Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys that kicked off that, that this style of match almost in many ways. Yeah. So to preempt later on, I ain't giving this match five stars, but I am saying, and I think because of the anger, I was kind of expecting to dislike this more when I watched it, and I ended up liking it more, but not to the point of giving it five stars. Mm. But what I think is significant to this is that Christian, I think, his presence probably helped keep a certain level of order to this match. Well, loads of wrestlers always speak about how good Christian is. He's just everywhere he needs to be at the exact right moment in this match. We did a whole episode about Christian before he got signed by AEW, actually. And we were talking about what he would... It was between him returning at the Royal Rumble and arriving at AEW a few months later. And then a few months after that, challenging Kenny Omega for the AEW world title, winning the Impact world title off of him. And now being in his first ever five-star match, apparently. At the age of, what, 47, is he? Something like that, yeah. I think he does a great role, and it's curious because I was expecting going into this that the finish would be Jungle Boy doing something not to Christian's approval, that costing them the match, and that setting us on the pathway of Christian turning on Jungle Boy mm. and helping him like put him over another step on. Because one of the great things that AEW has done with its veteran talent that they've brought in is pairing them up with someone within the AEW sphere that doesn't have the WWE experience, doesn't have the long-term factoring. Yeah. So with Christian, they partner him up with Jurassic Express almost from the start, Mm -hmm. very early on. 
Sting obviously gets brought in to be partnered up with Darby Allen. Tully Blanchard comes along. Admittedly, FTR have WWE experience, but Tully Blanchard joining FTR works very well for them. I would obviously say Sting, even though he was in WWE, is much more a WCW name. My point just is a legend, is taking a figure that has legendary status already and partnering them up with someone. Mm. Uh, Chris Jericho is with Sammy Guevara and the rest of the inner circle. Yeah, Miro had Kip at the start. Yeah, but I wouldn't consider Miro a legend, necessarily. No, but I'm saying like you could even push this to some of the uh, current generation stars. Well, the wise thing is to, to mix them in with the AEW lot early. Yeah, I guess Malachi Black is one of the few they haven't done that with, I suppose, because they put him straight in with Cody and he hasn't escaped that yet. <laughs> the feud I'm looking forward to with Malachi Black, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's what's being set up in a few weeks' time, will be him and Darby Allen. Yeah. That's a logical collision of characters. and But with Adam Cole, really, just immediately, you know, as soon as he comes out. And this is a funny thing as well. You've got to remember that he only debuted the pay-per-view before then. Yeah. But he's felt so ingrained within it already that that kind of came as a surprise to me that this was his, essentially his pay-per-view debut as a wrestler and that he ultimately loses in it. He doesn't take the fall. And that's another point of contention I think you could argue about. Yeah, he fit in straight away. And I think it's also a great sign about Adam Cole is that he comes out with the face pop that everyone expects, turns heel almost immediately, and it works because yeah. of the inbuilt storylines. I-, I was going to say, like, I know how you mentioned he doesn't take the fall, but I think it's pertinent that he's the guy that uh, Jungle Boy hesitates about doing the concerto to because it's already been done to him. I don't know if that's like an extra factor they'll allude to or if I'm like uh, English student being an English student and reading too much in straight away. No, I don't think that makes sense because ultimately the the what the guy that Jungle Boy hates in this feud is Adam Cole. They set up Adam Cole and Jungle Boy as a feud from the moment Adam Cole turns heel, which he does so by soup kicking Jungle Boy. And it's really such a good idea for a feud as well between him and Jungle Boy because Adam Cole is still a, a handsome man. But you can very easily do a whole thing of him seeing his... 23 22 pretty boy heartthrob self in jungle boy now yeah and being bitter and jealous about it perhaps envious that jungle boy's in the position he was but he got there a whole lot quicker than adam cole did Mm. and adam cole could say you're only here because of the path i paved for you you ungrateful little shit because you're sexy and yeah you had a famous dad i'm still sexy i've still got it you sure this isn't a Chris Jericho feud coming up? Well, it <laughs> seems at some point that'll be where it goes. Yeah. So, yeah, because I think just Adam Cole's so well-established and he fits in and, you know... It's funny, though, that he's in this larger stage that he didn't really get to experience in the WWE outside of the NXT takeovers mm. and, like, what one or two SmackDowns. He never wrestled in this size of an arena for pretty much all of his AEW run. He was always... Florida set. Yeah. 85% of his time there. I mean, he had a great time in NXT, but yeah, it's just weird. He got to keep a main event aura in WWE without Vince ever having to touch him. Because the AEW fan base will be more NXT savvy. I mean, in many ways, AEW is the continuation of what NXT was doing until AEW came along, essentially. Mm. And stopped the sort of funnel of talent that was the indie scene going straight to NXT. 
Yeah. Instead, it was like, well, no, here's a better path for you to get straight on national TV and not even having to worry about Vince McMahon's silliness at some point <laughs> derailing you. And also NXT was creatively starting to hit the skids as well, just not coming up with anything new anymore. Well, that's why 2.0 came out. Is Well, that's a whole thing. Yeah, we don't have time to get into that. But when I look at these matches, the thing that I always will compare them to for me, which is sort of, for me, the gold standard of around the arena, six-man, two-big-teams brawls, is one of my favourite matches of the previous decade and one that I've cited a fair few times in this podcast, which is The Shield against Team Hell No and Ryback. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This doesn't match that. It's telling a different story. But I loved the story of the the shield match because it was about the shield just always finding the numbers even though it was three on three they always knew how to isolate that was the story of the match above the stunts whereas this was stunts with a story occasionally attached to it with sort of the jungle boy part and that's not really the that's just sort of the bookend of the match they they lay in you know the Chekhov's gun at the start and then they pay it off at the end. But again, I'm not sure the payoff was exactly the right one to go with. I'd say there's a little bit more than the Jungle Boy thing. I think Luchasaurus is made to look very good, like very strong in, in this match. But that's just more just making sure everyone looks good. Luchasaurus's narrative didn't change from the start to the end of that match, other than he got a big win. But he got a big win through being sort of an equaliser. Yeah. If maybe the Super Click were a better team, cohesive unit... They had the experience of Christian Cage and the size of Luchasaurus to get back at them. You know, Luchasaurus mm. is able to take out pretty much everyone with the shooting star plancher at the end that gives Christian and Jungle Boy the time. For a man that tall to do it uh, downwards, a little a little more unseen than it would be in a, to a ring. Uh, it, it's just it's beautiful how he executes it in my mind. There's your beautiful, knock that one off your bingo cards. <laughs> but to an extent, Simon, I would say, one of the things that worries me always when people do the shooting star, well, in any situation, but particularly when it's some sort of plancher, less of a problem when it was coming off the stage, is the the fact that you're sort of going backwards on yourself as you're doing the move. Yeah. And so often the feet get caught on, on something they've launched themselves off yeah. of because you do, you can't get as much distance as opposed to doing just a, a you know a flip dive which was what Matt Jackson did earlier. Mm. That is so often what happens with the sort of PWG Gorilla Warfare six man craziness matches that the Young Bucks more often than not were doing with Adam Cole but have done with other teams, which is where every they're, they're, it's always them against like a, a semi random three man units. We covered one previously, although that wasn't a wild brawl, but it was still crazy stunt spectacle yeah. in PWG when it was them against Ricochet, Matt Seidel, and Will Ospreay. Mm. And what they'll often do is a spot where just suddenly they it seems like there's almost there's a telepathic moments where they see an opening. Yeah. And towards the end of this match, it's where Christian goes for a spear but runs into a super kick from Adam Cole. And at that moment, straight after he hits it, Matt Jackson suddenly sprints across camera and does a flip dive over onto Luchasaurus. And that immediately, it's like suddenly there's an opening because you've taken out two or three out of the equation, which was, again, what The Shield did so well, finding a way to take someone yeah. out so the numbers were always on their side. That roar from Christian as he's running for that spear, by the way, oh, it's just beautiful. 
such a it's the aggression it, here we go again it's an angry roar but not like a show off angry roar it's like I want to hurt you angry roar kind of thing mm. it's just it's, it's good psychology I feel and a really well timed super kick as well from Adam Cole we should, you should probably do a super kick tally in this match <laughs> in any of these sort of matches because I'm guessing the over under is at least 8 super kicks get thrown in this match yeah when you factor in double and triple super kicks will count for 2's and 3's each more like a dozen, I suppose. I do feel that that cage match against the Lucha Bros probably has this beat. But that's because um, both Penta and Phoenix throw super kicks. Whereas it's only really Jungle Boy on the opposing team that's a super kick merchant. That's a good point you raise, actually, about the fact that one of the previous five-star matches we covered at the last AEW pay-per-view was the Young Bucks losing their tag titles to the Lucha Bros. And that was them doing a big chaotic spot-filled match, but that was definitely much more story-focused mm. in the in the dynamic of the Luch Bros against the Young Bucks. Well, both, st- both story and character dynamic focused, and in a confined space where they never were able to leave the cage. Whereas this, they're going all over the place somewhat. Yeah, and it's weird, because obviously they were confined because Tony Khan was sick of the Stooges' interference, and now it's completely flipped. They're like, ah, just do whatever. Go wherever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the reason why I expected them to win as well, because the Stooges would be able to get involved. Yeah. And so the story is of, through, like I said, a combination of Christian's experience, Luchasaurus's size being a struggle for them to keep him down, and Jungle Boy's maturation mm. is what ultimately wins it for them. They are a team as well, a cohesive team, but they don't have the experience in, the, in, this, in this environment that the super click do although christian does more so they're a cohesive team with christian bolted onto it so there's there's always that little jarring nature to them compared to the smoothness of the super click one thing that's just dawned on me in this match which is also a little bit of a bone of contention for a false count anywhere match you only really see one of the two stooges taken out properly like Brandon Cutler's not seen again after the Christian dive, but I've seen I, you see Nakazawa afterwards, and it's never. Why is he not getting more involved? Like he's never properly like taken out of the equation. Well, they only want to get involved to up to, up to a point anyway. I think otherwise it just becomes like you know you, you turn into a handicap match, like it was before, which is what was paid off with the Lucha Bros cage match. And I think it's always with those sort of things, you want to give the heels almost plausible deniability that they only go to them as a, a last-minute requirement. Yeah. That they only call... It's not just 100% interference all the time, like Jey Uso just, just <laughs> constantly being with Roman Reigns. There's yeah. a difference. It's picking your spots, picking your moments. Mm. So that's why they would do that. And I agree, but it's just the Falls Count Anywhere element of it. That kind of like, just, it doesn't quite line up properly in my mind didn't bother me but i do like how with those things it is reminiscent of the old wwe well wwf i suppose hardcore wrestling brawling in the crowd it's curious as well i don't know how much they conference with chris jericho and everyone for the other match because they did have two weapon filled no rules brawls with large teams on either side mm. because the penultimate match of the show is the Minneapolis street fight the the mere four star <laughs> match in Dave Meltzer's eyes 
And there is that question of, well, where are you going to wrestle? Where are we going to wrestle? Because, you know, very often they're told, you're told, don't, don't wrestle on the outside. Just stay in the ring because we're going to do outside brawling in this match and this match or just this match. Yeah. You know, it used to be, don't do this move because this person's going to do this move. And it's not the case. I mean, every single match, I think, on t- uh, full gear, I think I hear, and pretty much every AEW match, to be honest, that goes a certain length of time, I hear Excalibur say Tope Suicida. Well, I was going to say for, Tope Con Hero. For full gear uh, specifically, there's a da- there's a lot of apron spots. I didn't think there were that many more in comparison to usual. Like in the first match, you've got like an apron tombstone. That's match one. Like, where'd you go after that? Yes, and I know there's an apron spot in the world title match. But is there any apron spots in this match? Yes, Adam Cole does the wheelbarrow German to Jungle Boy into the apron. There's de- well, there's definitely that one. Okay, I'm calling a 90 second sidetrack here because my boss at work today mentioned the wheelbarrow, the wheelbarrow race, as it were. Yeah, that he knew this kid at school that was like friends with the bully, and the bully was picking on people, and he let off my boss. When they were there because the other kid knew him from their wheelbarrow race days. <laughs> if they turned the wheelbarrow race into an Olympic sport, what do you think would be the world record? Let's say it's the 100 metres wheelbarrow race. Or do you want to go? 100 metres or 400 metres? Let's go 100. Because everyone can, like, that's a straight line. Everyone visualises that better. What do you think would be the world record? Because isn't someone, like, able to run backwards in 11 seconds? What? You do wonder, just turn around. I'm pretty sure you can make up the second and a half. Uh, uh, Someone can run backwards 100 metres in 11 seconds. I believe so. Whilst I'm looking that up, think about what you think. So taking things like that into account... If these people that dedicate their whole lives to the wheelbarrow race, how fast do you think they could do a 100 metres wheelbarrow race? What do you think will be the world record? They're going to look different from sprinters is what I've got in my head at the minute because upper body strength is a lot more of a factor. That's true. I'd say... But you don't want that guy to be too heavy. You want him to have really strong arms but really skinny legs. Yeah, well, you want him to have functional muscle, not like glamour muscle like most all athletes do but like to the nth degree i guess i reckon because i know how dedicated people and competitive like humans can get i reckon you could probably get a i'm gonna say 14 seconds a 14 second 100 meter wheelbarrow race yeah i think it would take a it would take a while oh yeah 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 yeah. if you created it today i think of the first olympics also oh oh what if they did it mixed as well? That'd be interesting. Mm. You have men's, women's, and mixed. Or you do a 400-meter relay, but every 100 meters you got to swap. Or you do a 400-meter relay. Two of them have to be each each combination. A bloke pushing a bloke, a bloke pushing a woman, a woman pushing a woman, and a woman pushing a bloke in whatever combination you want to do it in. Just like they do have now the mixed... 4x100 relays and 4x400 relays. Yeah. This was meant to be about wrestling. (laughs) Well, we've just had... Okay, so... Okay. So this is someone from the United States, Northampton in the United States, although they're listed as a a Ghanaian. What do you think the record... Technically, I'd heard it was 11 seconds, but that might be hyperbole. If you were to guess, ignoring that, what you would have thought the world record of running the 100 metres backwards was, 
What would you say? 13 seconds. 13.6 seconds. Get it! Freddy Ato Adobo. And this was back in 1991. No one's broken that record since. What do you think's the fastest backward mile? Well, you can do a mile in like four something if you're like elite level. I'm going to go six minutes. Five minutes, 54 seconds. <laughs> Which is faster than 99% of athletes can run a mile forwards. That's faster than I can run 100 meters forwards. <laughs> That's got to be emasculating. If someone would, if someone did a marathon backwards. <laughs> doing the whole thing. Like taunting you as they were doing it. And then they get so far away, they've got to get a Jimmy Hart loudspeaker. <laughs> Wearing their little mirror harness so they can actually see where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> with oh. Brandon Cutler also walking backwards. Cold spraying the back them. With the spray as he's going along. How much spray is there in those canisters? I swear he goes through a full canister before a match is over. I think he's got a medical bag stowed under the ring just to like make make sure he doesn't run out if he uses it for more than one spot because he lays it off. Well, you need it for the visual effect. You can't just do a little spritz. Oh, another point I have of contention with this match. I don't think it needed the blood. I certainly don't think it needed it twice and both of them being the heels. Mm. And Adam Cole's cut nasty. Yeah, the gear change in his bleeding is, is rapid, isn't it? I don't know if he like mm. nicked... I don't want to say he nicked like a vein, but he, he nicked something. It was on a fairly innocuous bump as well, from what I recall. Wasn't it like a full Nelson into a... a yeah, a it's like their combo ball. move, but they did it into a chair. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't warrant it. It was at the weird time in the match as well. I guess it was just that sense of them being so cocky and arrogant and then like reality hitting them, I suppose. But I would have thought if you were going to bloody anyone in this match, it would be Jungle Boy mm. to get the sympathy up. And then the idea of a bloody Jungle Boy having the concerto, having the chair and smacking it. And that, again, that being another progression of his maturity, like he experiences something really, you know, literal, serious. Literal bloodlust as well. Like he, he can... And if you played up more than Adam Cole being jealous of his looks, you could play into that as well. Yeah. Like he's digging into the cut more to say, you ain't so pretty now, are you? There's, okay, another thing that bothers me, thinking about it. This this is just, you know when they get out the thumbtack knee pads? It's all well and good. Yeah. But they're hitting the back and the side of the head as well. Like, I feel like if you're going to have a thumbtack knee pad, like, knee him in the face. <laughs> yeah, and again, that should be where what triggers a bleeding spot. Yeah. And I appreciate Luchasaurus wears a mask, so that's always hard to do as well. Mm. So, again... I don't know why they go with Nick and Adam being the ones to bleed in the match. But again, it was like, that was one of my big problems that I think AEW needs to be more disciplined in these things. And they need to be more willing to tell people no. Yeah. No, you're not going to bleed. No, you're not going to do a tope for once in the fucking show. No, you're not going to do an apron bump. No, you're not going to do this, that and the other, you know. You get the apron bump, you get the weapon thing, you get the blood. Like, work it out amongst yourselves or something. You get the stapler to the ball bag. <laughs> Only you. I can't remember the source for this, but apparently Tony Khan has once like come out and said he does have to say no a lot to Sammy and Darby. Which makes me think, what the hell are they pitching? <laughs> yeah, if that's him being disciplined, my God. Yeah. And it's not an exclusive AEW thing as well. WWE is nowhere near as disciplined as they used to be about this kind of stuff. Mm. 
you know, I remember the stories of AJ Styles coming to a wrestler with like a list of uh, Teddy Hart because Teddy Hart of course obviously took umbrage to it <laughs> saying you can't do this move and you can't do this move like saying you can't do the spiral tapping you can't do that because that's those are my trademark moves in this promotion it's like Billy Kidman was always furious if anyone else tried to do a shooting star press including Brock Lesnar at Wrestlemania yeah. 19 but he had to go ironically it was AJ Styles he had to go because AJ did like a springboard shooting star plunge and you can get where they're coming from if you're mega death killing finisher is something that they just use as a high spot in your match. What does that look yeah. like? It would be like though um, a uh, All Japan Young Lion throwing out a burning hammer, and you just see Kenta Kabashi just staring at him. So we kind of went all over the place, but this match went all over the place. I think it was more structured than usual. I think that's probably down to Christian. They did do some cool spots. It's funny how often the trash can got involved in it, or the garb, or the bin, as we would call it. Yeah. Because I remember, funnily enough, Tony Schiavone doing the commentary during a Bam Bam Bigelow Hardcore Hack, a.k.a. Sandman, match at Spring Stampede 99 when they brought in hardcore wrestling. And he made a point that, actually, I don't think the... Tra- if I was going to get hit by anything, I'd get hit by the trash can because it makes a lot of noise, but I don't think it hurts that much. You know, when Jonathan Coachman made lines, words along those lines years later, we were all bollocking him for yeah. how dumb he was. Saying, that doesn't really hurt that much. <laughs> That's kind of where I am. It was it was a fun, it was a lot more fun. It was a lot better structured than I thought. There were some lulls. I think that everyone's common criticism of this match was it went on too long. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Although it didn't feel as long the second time around. But that was more a thing that every match went too long on this show, except for my favourite match of the card, which wasn't even given five stars. Aww. But maybe we'll talk more about that in the follow-up episode. But I think that kind of worked because, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we'll get to that. Uh, anyway, do you have any more key points? Anything else that stood I'm out? I'm just going to gonna piggyback a little bit, maybe in terms of like more crowd excitement, but in relation to like the gears for full gear, you know when Homer misses the uh, landing for Springfield Gorge, mm-hmm. at, and it's just like, ah! oh wait, no, that's sideshow Bob and Bart when they're falling down the dam. But you know how they like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just screaming. They take the breath. The breath in full gear being the Cody match. And then it's just more screaming, basically. That was, yeah, but that breath didn't need to be 20 minutes as well. No. I mean, it almost made me miss Big Show and QT Marshall. That is a perfect pay-per-view. Like, all right, let, let, let's have five minutes of not yeah. caring match. But this match isn't didn't lay an egg, but nor would I say it's golden either. I would personally, yeah. on rewatching it, it's hovering somewhere around the four to four. Four and a quarter for me. I'll go four, probably. Yeah, it's fun. This quarter ratings are. I, I wouldn't say it's It's definitely not five-star fun, but it is fun. I had a good time Yeah, of course, it. yeah. I think if it had been surrounded by other sh- matches that had a bit more discipline, they didn't have another big street brawl. I mean, I think that might be where it's useful next year that they're going to have like those Clash of the Champions-style shows. Yeah. And maybe that's where you have the women's title match go 15 plus minutes have it headline or you have the inner circle match headline that and this show just have a quick you know proud and powerful versus the jericho and proud and powerful versus men of the year and dan lambert and you just do it as like an eight man eight minute six man tag yeah or something they do blow off tv feuds on tv mm. whereas like other companies will sort of drag it out to pay-per-view and i think with the extra diet pay- like it's going to be like there in your house 
basically, isn't it? So I think that will help them a lot in terms of like f- things don't have to be crowbarred into this once every three months pay-per-view thing. They'll have something as breathing room for their stories. Yeah. So, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you to give you more advice on wheelbarrow race statistics and challenge you on more odd world record sprints and running times, you're doing pretty well so far. You're basically two for two with your guesses. How can they do that? They could find me on Twitter, where I'm sending a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of legs in another record, which I'd like to know the answer yeah. to. All right, I'm going to look that up whilst, whilst, you do, whilst I'm doing this. My name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for ankle lock. <laughs> N for knobbly knees, <laughs> although I know that starts with a K. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. lntyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Shall we save it for the next episode to get people to listen or shall we give them the statistic now? The, the fastest mile in three-legged race world history. No, let's let's put it on ice just just for next week. Ooh. Well, then I was just going to Google it, uh, which is what I've done. Some might, some might not. Well, I, for those that honour that, I commend thee, and we'll see you again next week. But until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. I know what you hide. I see your child through your eyes. I hear your sigh. Let's lose ourselves in time